you know, I appreciate the worship team and leading us in singing songs that direct our attention and focus on Jesus Christ. And I love the fact that we as a church can come together and sing songs and celebrate and rejoice and have an opportunity to pray out in the midst of, in the midst of singing the songs, to be able to pray out like that. Um, you know, sometimes we can sing a song and it's great, and it's powerful, but God begins to stir us on the inside and He begins to bring things to our attention and begins to speak to us. And so um, we want to make room for times that if you feel like you, the Lord is giving you something to share, to encourage the rest of the church with, to come up and, and see whoever's leading the meeting and say, hey, you know, I feel like God's put this on my heart. Can this be, maybe this is for the church. So we want to encourage you guys to do that. And at times when we're singing like that, just to be able to sing out your praises to the Lord. You know, so often songs are, they capture a moment, but sometimes God's doing more on the inside of us that we just can sing out to the Lord and say, God, here's what you're doing inside of me. This is what you're doing right now. And so we want to um, make room for that and celebrate that. All right, if you would turn with me to Ephesians. We are, we're working our way through the book of Ephesians. And this is week number three for us. Um, Ephesians is, is, a, is an incredible book. And, and my heart for you is that as you read through Ephesians on your own, as you go home and read through this, these, these texts and these messages, that it wouldn't just be like just kind of flying through it, closing the book, saying, hey, that was good, I feel blessed, I'm glad I read the Word of God, and kind of move on. The reason why we take, as we preach, we take verse by verse by verse is because we believe the Word of God can be like a really fine wine, okay? If you think of a really nice red wine. Now, you can take that red wine and shock on the wine and like, wow, it's really nice and I got some of the flavor. But it's like a, it's like a fine wine where we, we sip by sip, you can enjoy and savor this rich, robust flavor that we get in the Word of God. And because the Word of God is so deep and is so rich, we want to mine it for all that it's worth and really ask the Lord to continue to show, show His, His Word and reveal Jesus Christ to us through His Word. And we'll, we will go through Ephesians. And years from now, or months from now, you're going to go back and read Ephesians again. And the, the Word of God is so rich that you'll begin to see more and more things of Jesus Christ in His Word. And so we take, we take going through the word, God's Word very seriously. It is important to us. We value and treasure our time together on Sunday mornings to dig into God's Word. So I'm going to pray and ask us and ask the Lord to help us understand His Word. So God, we thank You this morning for the time of, of singing songs of worship to You. God, thank You for the worship team that serves us and leads us in that. God, now we pray for um, the time where we get to worship you by hearing your word proclaimed and, and, and seeing Jesus Christ in that. So, Lord, we pray this morning, fix our attention upon you. Fix our attention upon your word. Give us an understanding heart. Let your Holy Spirit bring understanding to us in your word. And, God, I pray that you would help me to understand and clearly articulate the riches and the depths and the wonder of your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So this week I was talking to another brother who is a pastor at a church that we're friends with. Not my brother Dave, but a church that's a little bit farther away. And we were talking about at his church a number of years ago, they had a bit of a division in the church. And what had happened was, is that they began to reach out to people in the community that didn't necessarily look like the rest of the people who were in the church. And so people began to come to Christ and become, come to the church whose lives were a little bit messy, dirty. And so it, as, they begin, as people began to come to know Christ, as people began to come into the church, there began, to, there began a, this division of people who have been there for a long time, who have who've kind of paid their dues, if you will, spent the time, been giving faithfully, serving faithfully, you know, had done all these things. And now we've got these dirty sinners coming in. And it was like, what, what are we going to do? And so they had some serious questions that they need to have answered. What do we do when we see people coming in from off the streets who don't look like us? They don't sing our songs. They don't necessarily understand the, the things that we understand. Their kids don't play well with our kids. What do we do with that? Does God's word have anything to say about that? And so at this particular church, there was a division and a split. People left because of it. Because they said, we don't want our kids playing with those kids. We don't want to interact with those people. They're a little bit messy. They're influencing our, us for the worse. But as we look in the book of Ephesians, as we dig through the book of Ephesians, we see the potential for some of the same things happening. If you remember, we talked about the town of Ephesus and the, the rampant idolatry, idol worship that was going on at the time. They had a massive temple to the um, goddess Diana, and in this temple, was it was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. They not only had this temple, but they had other temples to the emperor. They had all kinds of occult practices, as we see in Acts 19. And there was all kinds of magic, occult practices, idol worship temples, and everything that goes along with that. They had idol, they had idol makers' guilds, and they had all these things that it was a huge industry for them. And so you can imagine... You'd have these people, the, the Jewish people who had, who had come to accept Christ in this, in this town. And they were the, they're the ones who had first come to Christ. And they had this rich heritage and tradition of, of, of the prophets and, and, and the Old Testament and all these things leading up to this point. Well, what happens when you bring in maybe some of the people that were persecuting the people a week before coming into the church saying, Hey, I'm on your team now. I'm signed up. I'm with you now. What do you do with that? Well, we're going to find out what the Apostle Paul and what God would have to say to us as a church with how do we look at these things? What is our understanding of what the church is like? How the church needs to interact? What are the important aspects of church life? And how do we as a, as a body, as a people, glorify God in our community? So we're going to start in Ephesians 1. And we're going to dig into verses 11. And we're going to read to verse 12 right now, and we'll go on to verse 14 a little bit. So this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church 
Ephesians 1, verses 11 and 12, he says this, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. He says, in him we have obtained an inheritance. Well, as I was working through this passage this week, I felt like I had this whole, this whole, this whole section nailed down. I thought, I got it. I understand this. He's, I know who he's talking about. I know what the purpose is. I know the main points. And so I felt really good about myself. And then after going to some commentaries and understanding this passage, it began to open my eyes to see what is he, who is he talking about in this passage, okay? So from the very beginning, he says, in him we have obtained an inheritance. So my question would be, who's the we? Who's obtained an inheritance? Who's this inheritance for? Well, if you look on and read who this we is, Paul being a Jew, talking to the church, he's saying in verse 12, the we is now this, so that we who hoped, who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. The we in this passage, because in this, this, whole, this whole long sentence, remember this is a big run-on long sentence, in this, in, up until this point, this, the plural we has been all the church. But now in this section, he gets a little bit more narrow, and he says, we being those who first hoped in Christ. So now he's talking specifically about himself and the Jewish people and the Jewish people in that church. He says, we were the ones who first hoped in Christ. We have this inheritance. We've been called out by God. We were the first to hope in Christ. And so talking about this inheritance, it can mean... Looking in the previous verses, it can mean adoption, redemption, forgiveness. But those things only point to a greater reality in the believer's lives. Those aren't in and of themselves. They point on to eternity. And so, in thinking about this inheritance, what is this inheritance that he's talking about that Jewish people have? And I thought, the inheritance we have is eternal life. This is our great inheritance. But it Eternal life not just being something. And if we look at John, if turn with me back to John 17 real quick. We'll jump back again. But John 17, this is Jesus' high priestly prayer. And he defines what this great inheritance is. What is this eternal life that we have? And this is John 17, verses 1 through 3. This is Jesus shortly after the Lord's Supper, telling his disciples what is about to happen. He says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. This is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. It says, this is our great inheritance. It's not something, it's someone. It's Jesus Christ. And I love the fact how Elizabeth brought that encouraging word 
and read out of Psalms today for us because she said this is what this is what is important that we see Christ that we know Jesus this is our great inheritance it's Jesus Christ it's not something we get like oh I get eternal life I get to live forever I got to be in heaven that's that's great but what he's saying is no no eternal life is knowing Jesus Christ that is what's most important and that's the grace inheritance of all so, he's, so Paul says, how did we get this inheritance? How did, how did the Jewish people get this inheritance that he's talking about? Well, verse one, verses 11, the last half, he says, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. The Jewish nation had a, an unbelievable history of being called out from all the other nations in the world. You had... You had Egyptians and Canaanites and Philistines. Yet out of all of those nations, God says, no, I want to reveal myself to the Jews. He says, I want to reveal myself to Israel. That's who I've called out from all the other nations of the world. He says, those are my people. I'll call them to myself. And God does call them his people. So from the very beginning, God was calling a people to himself. Now, Paul says that this inheritance was contingent on God first calling those people to himself. It wasn't like the Israelite nation was such a superior nation. They had more firepower. They had more intelligence. They were bigger and badder. They, were, they had more money. None of those things. It was purely the work of God drawing people to himself. But Paul moves from a specific statement about the Jewish people to, in the second half of verse 11, to a more general statement about the purposes of God. He says, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So this is kind of like the, the hinge verse of this, of this passage. Okay, so he works all things according to the counsel of his will. So it's all things is not only the, the way he's dealt with Israel in the past, but there's all things is now going to be talking about the way he's going to deal with us, his people. And really this makes a statement about God's sovereignty who God is, what God is like, that God does as he pleases. God has all power to do whatever he likes. Whatever brings him the most glory. And if you could think, this church was a church having in the middle of Ephesus, having um, all the pagan um, idolatry going on around them and the persecution that would come because of that, because they took a stand for Christ, in the way which they even saw the Apostle Paul, their own leader, being ran out of town because he, he proclaimed Christ. And here we have Paul encouraging them, saying, Look, God works all things according to the purpose of his will. If you can imagine the, the comfort that would have brought to someone who was suffering persecution, that this is, wasn't just, just happening, it was outside of God's power that God didn't know this was going on or God could do nothing about it, but that God was in control, that God had these people yet in his hands and he had a purpose and a reason for all these things, that nothing happens outside of God's will. And for us today, we need to be reminded that God has got all things in his hands, that God works all things according to the purpose of his will. This is for our good and for his glory. That nothing happens in our lives that is outside the bounds of God's powerful, infinite control in our lives. 
And it's a good reminder to us when, when we lose our job or our friends reject us or there's tension in the family because you're following the Lord. It's a good reminder to us to say, you know what, God is still in control. Total control, absolute control. So in verse 12, though, he moves on. Verse 12, it says this, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Might be the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory, not our glory, not the Jewish nation's glory. It wasn't like the Jewish believers had such as rich heritage and pedigree, and they were so smart that they chose God, that they somehow figured of all the other gods in the, in the area, they chose God, and therefore they should get some of the glory. I mean, they made a good decision, right? But what he's saying is, no, 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 because God had acted and worked in them and, and drew them to himself and called them to him, he gets the glory because it's his work alone makes me think of the 1984 NBA draft, okay? Those are, of you who are familiar with the NBA understand that the 1984 NBA draft was one of the greatest draft classes in the history of the NBA. And it was quite the turning point for sports in Chicago because with the number one draft, Houston chose um, a guy out of Houston by the name of Akeem the Dream Olajuwon. Okay, with the number two pick, Portland takes a guy by the name of Sam Bowie. Everyone heard of Sam Bowie before? Okay, he uh, had 10 um, seasons, averaging about 10 points a game and never winning a championship. But with the number three pick, Chicago took Michael Jordan. Okay, so Portland had a chance to get Michael Jordan. And they didn't. They took Sam Bowie instead, who had knee problems his whole life and ended up averaging about 10 points a game, which isn't bad. But he never won a championship and just kind of is always remembered as a guy who was taken before Michael Jordan, right? Nothing beyond that. And you can look at Chicago and think, man, those guys are brilliant. Those guys are brilliant. Because after Michael Jordan, you know, Charles Barkley was taken and, and, uh, and John Stockton. And so the Bulls made a wise decision in taking Michael Jordan. It was to the glory of, of, of Chicago that they chose Michael Jordan above anyone else and to the shame of Portland for taking Sam Bowie over the greatest player in the history of the NBA. But the reason the Jewish believers trusted in Christ was because God had drawn them to himself, not because they had figured this whole thing out. And so where we'd look at Chicago and say, you guys are brilliant, we can't say that about ourselves or even the Jewish nation because it was God working on their behalf to draw them to himself in the first place. So God gets the glory. It was to the praise of his glory that the people were called to himself and accepted in new Christ Jesus. Now, this is where it, this is where it changes. This is where I, I got hung up because I, in trying to figure this verse out, I was trying to think, who's the we? And then in this passage, he changes and goes from we. Now, if you look in, in verse 13, look, look how it changes. Verse 13 so it starts off, in him we have obtained inheritance, in verse 11. But now in verse 13 it says this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The vocabulary changes. 
It goes from we to you. So he's making a differentiation between the Jewish believers who were in the church to now you, which is the Gentile believers in the church, the people who had come out of paganism, people who came out of idolatry. He's saying, now you. Now this is what he says about you. That he says that you were brought to Christ. And he's beginning to do is he's beginning to lay the foundation for the rest of the book. Because this is crucial for us understanding the book of Ephesians. This book of Ephesians is about how, how, do, how do we do church? How do we come together in, in Christ Jesus? And so in this passage, he's beginning to lay the foundation of what it means to be the church. Of how people are brought together. How people are brought into Christ. And so it also talks about not only you, but it also talks about this gospel message. And this is what it says about the gospel message. That it's proclaimed and it's, it brings us to a decision. This gospel message that he talks about, this message of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins, being crucified for our sins. He says this gospel message is the message that is proclaimed from the church is proclaimed to you that's changed you. As we take communion before before we start preaching, it's it's a re, it's a reminder to us of what Christ Jesus has done. It's an invitation to come back to the Lord again. No matter what we've done, no matter where we have gone, God keep, continues to invite us to Himself. Continue to say, "Come to me, I'll forgive you. Come to me." But it's not just a message that we hear. And we make mental assent to, yes, Jesus died for the sins, died for my sins, that's great. But it leaves us at a place where we need to make a decision. How is this going to affect my life? Do I really believe this? Do I really believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins? Not just for the sins in general, not just for people out there, but for me. Did Christ Jesus die for me? And if we believe that, it changes everything. Because now it affects me. It's talking to me. Not just people, but me. Christ Jesus died for my sins. And it doesn't allow us to stay neutral to this message. Either we reject it and its implications, or we accept and say, because Jesus died for me and I believe this, everything changes around me. The way I live my life, the, the way that I, I serve, who do I serve, how I align myself, it's all changed by that. And in accepting this message in faith, it says something happens. It says we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. It says we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's what happens when, we, when, when these believers heard the gospel message and believed. It says you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. A seal in Roman times was used to identify ownership. So they would, and I think I've said this before when talking about the, talking about the Holy Spirit, but... In the Roman times, you'd take a seal and you'd seal either cattle or you'd seal slaves. And what you'd do is you'd brand them. And they forever, you knew that th- who they belonged to, whose property this was. And so in Roman times, they would do that. But they not only did that, but cargo was also sealed. And so if you had a shipment going somewhere, the shipment would be sealed. And you knew who, this, who the shipment belonged to. And you knew who the shipment was going to. So that was also the use of a seal. And what he's saying is this. We have been sealed. 
that we have been sealed. That when, when, when we came to faith in Christ Jesus, when, when we heard this gospel message, when we believe this message, it says you have been sealed. You have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And it's not as if like some physical branding, but it's as if God took the, the, the brand out of the, the hot fire and put it upon our hearts and sealed us for himself, saying, you now belong to me. You are my property. And not only that, but you, are, you have a purpose and you are going somewhere. You're going to be with me. And he says, I have sealed you with ownership of myself because of my son. And this is, again, going back to verse 11, this is done because God works all things according to the counsel of his will. So when we come to Christ Jesus, it's because we are coming to Christ Jesus because, of the, because he wanted us to come and he's drawn us to himself. This is the work of God. So these Jewish believers and the Gentile believers coming together are, are the result of God working in both of them, bringing them together, bringing them to be united as one, as one people. Because now look what he says in verse 14. This is what he says in verse 14. He says, talking about the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, of our inheritance. This is our inheritance. Now the language he uses, he moves from we, the Jewish people, who Paul was, to you being the Gentile believers. He now says, look, all the lines are erased. This is now our inheritance. Christ Jesus is our inheritance. There isn't two people, a division in the church, and two people kind of moving forward in Christ. He says, no, no, no. That's all erased. Now we are one people in Christ Jesus, forming a new, a new person, a new, a new kind of people that are united together in Christ Jesus, no longer divided by ethnicity or race, but now in Christ Jesus, one people. He says, this is our inheritance Christ Jesus is our inheritance. And that is great news. That's good news for us to hear. I remember when I went on a missions trip to New Orleans. Um, this is probably four years ago, I believe. Larry was there. I think Sam Barker was there. And we went to New Orleans right after Hurricane Katrina to do some um, cleanup work in the in the areas down there. And it was just, it was an amazing time together. But one of the afternoons we had a little bit of free time. And so the, the, the missions team came together. We were all staying at this church and at this church, they had this, they had this 5,000 piece puzzle. And so, you know, you figure it's at a church, the chances of all the puzzle pieces being there are just non-existent. You know, I mean, if you have it in your own house, it's probably not going to all be there, but in a church especially, there's going to be like 100 missing pieces or something. Well, it turns out the missions team, me not being a part, but all the students got together and decided we've got some free time, so we're going to put this puzzle together. So they did. They, they began to work on this puzzle, and it took them a couple hours to put this puzzle together. So halfway through the puzzle experience for them, I kind of walk over like, hey, what are you guys doing? This looks like it's great. You guys are all working together as a team, and you guys are really bonding, and this is great. What they didn't know is I walked over and I took a piece off the table and put it in my pocket. So they continue to work on this puzzle piece and I kind of come and check up on them periodically and they were really working hard at this. And so at the very end, 
lo and behold, there's one piece missing. But they have the second to last piece, and they're like, together as a team, we're going to do this. We're going to all put our fingers on this last puzzle piece and push it down, and we've all completed the puzzle together because we're a team, and we've worked hard and spent hours to do this. So they did that, and they all kind of applauded and clapped, put, put their arms around each other. Look, we've done We spent hours put this huge puzzle together. Well, at that point, I walk up. I say, wow, you guys finished as a team, and you guys really worked hard at this, and you guys just got done putting the last piece in. That's great. I proceed to take the piece out of my pocket, pop it right in the middle, say, you know what? I finished the puzzle. <laughs> Thanks. I'm so glad we got to do this puzzle together, guys. This is a really good experience for me. Well, you can imagine, they, they applauded me. They clapped. They were so grateful that I had, had brought the last piece in. Actually, I had to run for my life because it was the only time I think I was in physical danger from my students chasing me. But the thing is, you can imagine these Jewish believers who have this rich tradition in history of walking with God through the whole Old Testament, this Moses, the lineage of, you know, of Moses and Abraham and, and King David and now Jesus Christ being a, of the lineage of the Jewish nation, coming together and serving and working in this persecuted church, suffering loss and harm, being in, in fear of their lives. And now you have these kind of Johnny-come-lately show up at church who may have been the very people who are persecuting them the week before. And now they show up at church and say, hey, I'm on your team, guys. Full in, I'm full inheritance now. I'm in like you guys. I get the same benefits as you. All the benefits you have in Christ Jesus, hey, they're mine too now. Isn't that great? Don't you guys love the fact that I'm here? And you can imagine within that context, there may have been a few people who think, who do you think you are? Are you serious? I've given my life for this church. I have suffered for the sake of Christ. And you're just going to show up and stake your claim on some inheritance that, that you think is ours now because you just happen to believe this like I did. You can imagine the feeling in some of those people's hearts or even the feeling of, you know what? You guys, you're probably still practicing that, that witchcraft, witchcraft stuff at your house at night, aren't you? Your kids are probably still hanging out with those other kids whose parents do witchcraft worship the idol, go to the temple. I bet you're still doing that stuff. And there was a division. There had the potential for a division in the church. But the amazing thing about Almighty God is this, that with God, when we come to Jesus Christ, He says we are fully vested in. There's no waiting period. I think about when I worked at, at Leap Supply for a number of years, you, as a retirement plan, you got so much, you were vested in so much every single year. And so the first year you had like 20% being vested in. And then the next year you got 40. And then, so by the end of like five or six years, you were hundred percent vested into your retirement. But if you try to pull out any time before that, you only got a small percentage of it, but you had to kind of stick around for a little bit to get the full benefit of the retirement. And so often we could think about the church sometimes that way too. Well, I've done my dues. I'm fully vested. You've been here for a week. You're probably 20% vested. You're probably only a small percentage vested. You don't really get the same benefits I do. I've done my time. I've worked hard. 
I was here when we went to two services. Now we've got to do more work. And I was the one that had to play in the worship team for two services and had to give my entire Sunday morning. Hey, I was the guy who had to be the usher for the whole timer. I worked in the sound booth all morning. And you just show up and consume. Like somehow you just kind of jump in on the benefits. We, we're going to have every opportunity to think those kinds of thoughts. To feel that way. But with God, it's amazing. And when we come to Christ Jesus, he says, you are fully vested immediately. You don't get a little bit of the Holy Spirit. You don't get a little bit of Jesus. Then over the years, you get a little bit more. And we'll see if you're faithful. And if you are, if you stick around long enough, you get maybe 40%. He says, no, at the point where we come to Christ Jesus, he says, you are fully vested. My seal of the Holy Spirit is given to you in full. There's no waiting period. There's no, there's no seven-day wait. There's a, you are fully vested at that moment. And we are singing the song this morning as the most impossible thing. This is the David Crowder, Holy Yours song. This is the most impossible thing. Your grandness in me making me clean. The most impossible thing. If we think about what Christ Jesus has done in us, that he would give us his Holy Spirit fully, not a little bit, not just a small portion, but fully give us his Holy Spirit that we could be clean, forgiven, and washed, be called to himself and fully in his family. This Holy Spirit is, is the guarantee of our inheritance. This guarantee isn't, isn't like, well, it's, you could probably put it more like it's a down payment of sorts. Okay, so this word, this guarantee word in the Greek is used as a down payment. So it's not necessarily like a wedding ring because a wedding ring, although it's kind of a promise for something more later, it's not necessarily the wedding itself or the marriage itself. It's more like a down payment for a house where God says, you know what, there is so much more that I have for you. When you when one day you're gonna you're gonna come to me, and you're gonna when, when you when you pass away and come into my presence in heaven, you will fully get all of me. But you know what? In the meantime, I'm gonna give you a, a, a down payment of the Holy Spirit. That's that's part of this this full inheritance. He says, you know what? I'm gonna give you some of myself as this inheritance. And so, in thinking about this for my own self, I I, I think. Here we sit, 2010, some of us have been um, serving Christ for one year or five years or 10 years or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years we've been serving Christ. But yet before us lays 2,000 years of people giving their lives, suffering, losing their life for, for us to even have a Bible in the English language. Or for us to be able to gather in a church setting. And I think we are the ones that have just showed up. We can read this and think, oh, that's good for them. That they're having these things going on and, and they need to be united. But I think this is speaking of us. We need to approach this with gratefulness in our hearts. Realizing that we're the ones that just showed up on the scene. We're the ones that just showed up. We're the ones walking in the back door saying, Hey, I'm in. I'm on your team. Check this out. I get full inheritance. That's all of us. We're all in that place. And so we've got no right 
to exclude other people or to have feelings towards other people like, oh, wait till you're here a little bit longer. Wait till you're serving in a ministry for a little bit. Wait till you pay your dues. We've got no right to ever feel that way because this is who we are. We're the ones showing up at the last minute. And God graciously gives us all of himself. doesn't give a little bit. doesn't say, you know what? Stay with me for a while and then I'll give you some benefits. He says, no, no, no. I give you all of myself from the very get-go. As you put your faith in Christ Jesus, trust him for salvation, he says, I fully give you all of myself. This is who we are. This is where we sit. And we need to be amazed and thankful and filled with a sense of worship to God. When we sing these songs, when we have an opportunity to hear God's word proclaimed, when we come home after Sunday, Sunday after Sunday morning service, like Brad prayed, get up on a Monday morning and the alarm clock goes off and it's cold and you're tired. We have the opportunity to say, thank you, Jesus, that you have brought me fully into your family, that I am the one who's come at the last minute and yet you've fully brought me in. And Paul says at the end of verse 14, this is, I love this. He says, at the end of verse 14, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, just like the, the Jewish nation, he says, came to, came to faith in Christ Jesus. Paul being one of those, he says, that happened to the praise of his glory. Now he says this being united as one. These lines of Jew and Gentile, pagan, Christian. He says, in Christ Jesus, he says, our past is wiped away. And now we are one people to the praise of his glory. That God would get all the glory for this. We wouldn't sit around this church and think, I've made a good decision. I'm so glad I'm here. I'm, so, I'm such a, a wise person for choosing to be at this church or choosing Christ. I'm really glad that I figured this out where all my other friends are still struggling. We would look to God and say, God, it is because of your kindness, because you have drawn me, because you have had mercy on me, because of your grace that I am here today. And it's for your glory alone. It's for your purposes alone. And in this, we're all united together. This is how, this is how we do church. This is why we do church. Because we want to see people who don't know Christ come in and be united with us as Christ's body in Christ Jesus. We're going to two services next week because we believe there are still those who need to hear this gospel message proclaimed and be brought in together as one body in Christ Jesus for his glory. And that we believe that this gospel message does bear fruit and is powerful and does change lives and does change families and, and towns, countries, and the world. We believe that this message is that powerful. And so this is why we go through the, the work to make more room because we believe that we want people here who haven't heard this message or have, been, or have heard it but been unaffected by it. We want people to hear this and be affected. We want people to come in, just like we did, to come and know Jesus Christ. 
So in closing, I, I want to say this. Maybe you need to be amazed by the work of Jesus Christ in you and around you. Maybe you've, you've heard this message a million times and it just kind of like, yeah, Jesus, that's great. And he died for my sins. It's, that's great. And we need to be amazed by that. We need to pray and ask the Lord to give us a revelation of Jesus Christ. And as you study these scriptures and dig into this word, that pray that God's word would come alive and affect us and change us. Maybe you've heard the gospel message and you've, in a sense, rejected it because it's made no impact in your life. Maybe today you make a decision that says, Lord Jesus, I'm going to believe this message and trust it for my life and trust in all the implication that it has for me. That would give myself to you. That would surrender my heart. I would ask for your forgiveness for my sins and believe that your death on the cross wasn't just for people out there or for people in general, but for me specifically. And we'd put our hope and trust and faith in Jesus Christ today for the first time. So I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to help us have that kind of revelation, that kind of worship, that kind of praise, that kind of gratefulness. I'm also going to pray if you feel like you've never, you've never heard that before, you've never believed it before, or never taken that seriously, that the Lord would, would impress it upon your heart and give you the, the faith to believe. So Lord Jesus, as we, as we close this morning, God, God, we pray that we would be affected by what you have done on the cross for us. God, that we would experience a greater, Lord, just a greater measure of grace in our lives to be able to worship you and call upon you and celebrate you and rejoice in you, God, for what you have done. Let us never approach your gospel message with with casualness or apathy. But Lord, you would stir our hearts, we pray. Help us to see more clearly who you are, Jesus, and the riches of the inheritance and the relationship we have with you. And Lord, I pray this morning for those here who have who've never put their hope and trust and faith in you and have repented of their sins. God, I pray, grant forgiveness, God. Give grace. Give faith to believe. Jesus' name, amen.